0: This is uh, a seminar that is part of a series called Tendencies in Time, that tries to trace and discuss current tendencies in terms of uh, production, distribution, collecting, uh, and otherwise of contemporary art. Uh, Tendencies that are sometimes uh, entirely new, sometimes remodeled, but therefore in some sense new. And today we will talk about um, collecting and collections. Um, We're living at a time when the commercial market is booming, uh, where art is bought like almost never before. Where does this art end up? In which types of collections? Um, We see quite a few more private collections. Uh, How are they developing? Uh, Could we say that Private collections today are becoming more and more uh, like public museums used to be like maybe 10, 15 years ago. And what is happening to the public collections? What is their role when we see an increased number of private collections? And uh, how does uh, the activities of institutions which do temporary exhibitions which do other types of programming like seminars, symposias, workshop, and so on, do to work with the actual collection. And last but not least, how do collections grow? How is art being purchased? Um, And I think it is extremely important to think about these material archives of our history, um, how they're developing, how they're being treated, Uh, but also what role they play in society um, at large. I'm really, really glad to do this collaboration with Magazine Trier, which uh, is the most well-known private collection and Kunsthalle in the Nordic region. David Neumann, who is the founding director and who can now uh, look at an extensive collection of around 600 works, many of which have been made for magazine 3 in conjunction with temporary exhibitions. And uh, at least among artists, it is very well known that if you work with magazine trier, you will get a long lead-up time, you will get very good working conditions, and last but not least, this fact that something tends to end up in the collection itself. So in a way, I would say that this is, um, at least to a degree, uh, an artist uh, focused uh, collection in that sense, close to production. We have Charles Escher here who is uh, the director of Van Abbemuseum Museum in Eindhoven, which is a completely different institution. It is a public institution run by the city of Eindhoven and uh, your background, as some people here know, is as the director of Roseum in Malmö, where you did an experimental program with exhibitions like Intentional Communities, uh, solo projects with Superflex, uh, Surasi Wong, the Thai artist. But also before that, starting up a new type of education in Edinburgh, the Proto Academy at the Art School in Edinburgh. Also initiator, co-initiator of the well-spread and much-read periodical after all. And I must also mention, because that was quite important for myself, when you were running Tramway in Glasgow in the mid-90s with big solo presentations of people like um, Christine Borland, Douglas Gordon, but also... Um, Stephen Willits, for instance, whom I'm still waiting to see a one-person show of in the Nordic region. (laughs) But now, today, the idea is to have uh, brief presentations uh, about the different collections and how they function, and then we move over to Uh, a discussion where the audience is certainly very welcome to participate. And I would first like to give the floor to uh, the Lord of the House, I would say, Thank you.
1: That's very kind of you. Um, I'm so happy to see you all here tonight. Uh, Firstly I want to apologize for the uh, technical mishap. Uh, Charles came about uh, half an hour ago and said I have images. And I didn't plan any images because I thought you are all here at Magazine 3 and there's a possibility to to view some of the shows that we are going on. So, of course, uh, Charles, you will be the absolute winner tonight by, by presenting all these slides. Uh, as you notice, it, the technology doesn't work, so so we are on even level now. Uh, it's am competition. B- no, it's no competition, but sometimes uh, creating exhibitions, and maybe that's uh, another topic, is, is a little bit about the competition. But nevertheless I'm, I'm all happy to see you here and um, of course I, I'm going to try to do a condensed version of uh, Y Magazine 3 after 20 years, because this is 20 years and it sometimes uh, surprises people that we have been uh, out here in Freehamden for 20 years uh, trying to make uh, exhibitions. And uh, uh, And I see, of course, this evening tonight, under the auspices of Jaspis and Maria Lind, as a very natural and important aspect of collecting. Uh, Collecting without being in dialogue with your contemporary contemporary life is, for me, uh, totally uninteresting. Uh, And I usually refer it to kind of a trophy collecting, and maybe we can uh, approach that subject a little bit later. Uh, because, as um, a woman said to me about six months ago, the new aspect of uh, in art is money, and uh, we have, for for quite a long time, been uh, slightly bombarded with uh, information about uh, what kind of of money. Uh, the art world generates, and uh, in terms of, of uh, <clears throat> prices, in terms of artist fee, and and, and all of that, and of course, uh, being uh, head of of a v- very young institution with uh, a great group of people working on exhibitions, I am paradoxically uh, totally uninterested in that aspect. Uh, we started Magazine 320 years ago, and we uh, purposely mentioned it, called it a, a Kunsthalle. Uh, somehow, and I have to be honest with you, somehow to if, partly downplay the fact that we are a collecting institution. In Germany, uh, this is not a problem. Uh, I offended a, a director from a, a German uh, Kunsthalle in, I think, Karlsruhe or something like that, They had one of the very best collections in in Germany, and said that's not uh, the situation in Germany. Um, A lot of Kunsthalles have collections. Initially, what Maria said is absolutely true. Over over all these years, from the very, very beginning, the idea of uh, creating exhibitions here in Sweden had very much to do with the fact that we experienced um, a kind of of, uh, low-level uh, where we realized that there was a lot of very interesting uh, contemporary expressions that didn 't have a, a opportunity and a chance to show in Sweden this was this is in no way anything uh, extremely radical, uh, but we also decided quite early on that one of the aspects of of creating these exhibitions was of course to um, to create some kind of memory, and that memory is uh, Can be can be of course contained in many different ways. Uh, One is of course to create a collection, and it's a collection uh, that uh, that kind of uh, collects the the artifacts. And in in this sense, when you are working with the visual arts, with with the actual objects, I have uh, and I'm I'm trying to kind of uh, like 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 a bird jump on different topics uh, because I want to be. I have a I have a feeling that that people know about our activities more than they do about Charles' activities in in, in Eindhoven, um, but collecting for me on a on a personal note is, is a it's a very complicated matter, and I always feel a great ambivalence uh, towards uh, the collecting. Um, it's it's about. Uh, it's a, it's a tremendous responsibility to collect. And it's not only uh, the fact that you uh, create the platform or a opportunity for, for um, an artist or artists to express themselves in, in a facility at Magazine 3, but the fact uh, how, you, uh, how you collect this memory and how you in one way preserve the memory and how you take care of it over 10, 20 years, or 30 years, or, or in, in Charles' uh, situation, your institution started to collect in 1936. We have currently uh, a collection of, of around 600 works. And you can see that we, have only, we are a young institution. We have only been in existence for 20 years. And what does it mean? Uh, we have institutions here in Sweden. Uh, um, thinking about, for example, the Nordic Museum that has uh, collections of 24 million objects. And about 10 years ago, when Maria, you did the exhibition in terms of, in, in part of archipelago, I think, um, where we needed some some artifacts or some furniture for an installation by Rosmarie we approached the Nordic Museum, of course, where it has these millions and millions of objects, and we wanted to borrow some 50s furniture and something like that. And in the end, of course, we, we ended up going to Myronas, because it was a fraction of the cost, and it was so much easier than to request these, these uh, objects from, from a storage facility about uh, 25 250 kilometers from Stockholm. So uh, the collection, at Magazine 3 um, is, as I said before, has to do with with trying to, parallel to our exhibition program, trying to uh, contain a level of memory, a level of what we have done here. And because we many times work very, very closely, this has been, as Maria said, one of the primary ideas of uh, creating Magazine 3 and also having uh, and the the idea of, of collecting um, we are we are um, we are of course in terms of the collection it is many times what what people say totally uh, impossible works to collect uh, both in terms of of uh, material uh, both in terms of uh, uh, size uh, both in terms of kind of knowledge uh, regarding certain uh, technical aspects that are changing over time. I mean, video art today, compared to five years ago, ten years ago, is constantly changing. And uh, and of course, for those of you that haven't seen the exhibition, for example, by by Lotti right now, um, we have a new work which I'm happy to say is is uh, a part of our collection. And it was very, it will very likely be many, many, many years and. Uh, before we will uh, kind of exhibit it here again. We have works, and you can see some of of the images that we have on the walls here, which has to do with with part of the collection. And uh, we have works which we have showed only once here. Uh, And and this is, of course, something which I'm very interested to discuss with you as an audience and with Charles and Maria. Of course, what does it mean by, by... collecting all these works. Uh, how how, uh, how important is it? Or is it important at all? Uh, historically, of course, uh, an institutional capital is not only uh, the kind of funding you have, whether you are public or private funding, but institutional capital historically also had to do very much with uh, what kind of, of collection you had. And if you had in that collection certain objects that no one person show or or group shows could be done without borrowing from 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 your collection and of course by by needing to borrow from your collection, it, you also established a platform for your institution to be able to 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 borrow from other collections somehow that that whole that whole trade that whole institutional trade is slightly shifting nowadays because the costs of of freight the cost of loans the cost of insurances makes it uh, um, in some institu- in, in some certain uh, aspects makes it v- extremely difficult to 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 borrow nowadays uh, i wouldn't I, I can't imagine for example what the uh, insurance uh, price tag is on the current exhibition of the Rauschenberg show at Moderna Museet, uh, which is, of course, an an interesting aspect because you know that a a federal museum like Moderna Museet do not carry any insurances. Uh, It's the the federal, it's the state, it's the government that goes in and gives a guarantee, which means, of course, that hardly any private institution that doesn't have this kind of, of guarantees from a federal agency could make a show like this. Um, I'm. I'm. Uh, do you want me to stop?
0: No, not at all. Okay, <laughs> but I have a question. Sure. So um, everything has an origin. What is the remit of uh, magazine Tria from your funder? Uh, what, in a few sentences, what were you told to do, and what are you still told to do, and how much money do you spend per year to do that?
1: Good questions. Uh, <laughs> this is this is of course uh, freedom under tremendous responsibility magazine 3 and this is maybe worth saying is 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 uh, the funding for the operative aspects of 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 the institution comes from a, a large private uh, corporation here in sweden and uh, the art which is uh, uh, all these 600 works uh, is located in, in, a, in a foundation, in a stiftelse. Uh, the idea behind it is, of course, that, that which makes it very complicated to some extent, is that we are creating our own missions. There is no agency that says that we have to do certain things. If I can condense our, our mission or idea behind it is, of course, that we are very much supported in the process we are many times uh, the the, the focus of our exhibition program has not so much to do with the result even though we feel that it's important for us to create uh, great results and what is great results is uh, uh, primarily exhibitions that we are proud of and once in a while um, we have an enormous audience once in a while we are extremely happy about an exhibition and um, we have a very small audience. Um, did you ask money? Yes. You did. That's always important. Yeah. Okay, so the operative costs for Magazine 3 is about 15 million Swedish kroner a year. And that doesn't include uh, the acquisition budget, uh, which uh, is different from years to years.
0: Can you give an average over the last five years so that we have a, an idea?
1: Um, about the same per year. Okay. So it's about uh, an acquisition budget of about $15 million per year.
0: Which is actually quite a lot more than Moderna yet. I guess so. Yes. <laughs> I can assure you that it is. <laughs> yes. Um, and um, in terms of just technicalities, if you want to make a purchase, is it up to you to decide? Do you go to a certain committee or how does it work?
1: No committee. Uh, I most of the time I I, I try to the, the the major acquisition we make to magazine three, we, we on the curatorial level we we will always try to discuss it. Uh, this comes, for example, to the acquisitions that we have made in in the current exhibition with Pipilotti. Um, I have no uh, committee, uh, we uh, which means that that. Uh, To some extent, one could say that I'm I'm the artist, or the gallerist, or the producer's absolute delight, because we make very swift decisions. Uh, As a matter of fact, I also want to add to it, I I have no board for Magazine 3. Uh, I sit on the board for, for, for this privately held corporation.
0: It's the other way
1: around. It's the other way around, but it also means, uh, and, and uh, we hate to talk about this at Magazine Three because we don't feel that we are sponsored. We, we have never worked in those terms. In, rather, we are a, a very integrated part of 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 a conglomerate of different uh, activities, where some are purely uh, commercial. Um, for example, this corporation, Proventus AB, we, they own uh, the Alvar Aalto factory in Finland that produces some of the furnitures you are sitting on. Um, we, they, they also own Brio, which is this um, toy, toy company. And
0: which is why you have amazing strollers to borrow exactly. to come with a baby here.
1: And, and then there are some, some, some other uh, in, in the media world and so on. So they feel that, that, uh, that Magazine 3 is, is, is a very important and integrated part of it. And, and actually once in a while they even think that the way we work is so much more interesting and, and uh, creative than uh, they work in a more commercial world.
0: Just one more question before we move over to Charles, and then we can come back to a number of things that you've brought up. Um, still, in terms of technicalities, uh, is there any uh, wish from the side of the corporation in terms of direction that you should take at Tria?
1: No, except, of course, and it's, it has to some extent uh, developed into being a fashionable statement, but of course we, we, we would like... And we have over the years, if you look at some of the posters, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a primary agenda, but we are many times introducing uh, um, artists for the very first time in Sweden or in Scandinavia. And, uh, but it doesn't necessarily need to, 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 to be that we have to be uh, in, the, in the very kind of, of uh, uh, ahead of everyone. I mean, there, are, there is a, this kind of vessel of artists of, of, Artists or, or movements that haven't been that have not represented in Sweden is, is enormous. So you can even go go back in, in time. But if I look at it, um, we have over the years uh, really done uh, the comprehensive, mainly one-person uh, presentations of uh, of um, artists. That could be, and, and I have also been very clear about that. There are surely other institutions in Sweden, primarily Moderna, but also Lillevals, National Museums so that are m- much better equipped in taking care of, of uh, comprehensive retrospective exhibitions and so on. We have, we, have, we have done that very few times.
0: Thank you, David. Thank you. So, Charles, uh, Van Abbe Museum in Eindhoven, a different story.
1: Um,
2: yeah, completely different story, I think, um, but maybe with some common objectives in some ways. Thanks for that. Um, <clears throat> thanks for inviting me, and thanks to everybody for coming. It's a big audience, it seems, which is nice. Um, the um, Van Abbe Museum began in 1936, and I'm not going to go through each year, don't worry. But it began in 1936 as a foundation by Mr. Van Abbe. So in some senses it had the same origin as yours. But it's interesting maybe the difference in the bourgeoisie then and the bourgeoisie now. The bourgeoisie then um, were immediately engaged with the public sphere in that he donated um, a building or donated the money for a building to be built um, and then donated a certain amount of money to the city council And the city council then bought his collection. It was a clever um, arrangement from his point of view because he got the money back, obviously, through that with tax-free. But uh, in the same sense, he was investing in the public sphere directly, which is obviously what this place hasn't done. It's remained in the private sphere. that's, I've not been critical about that, but I think there's a, there's a difference in the kind of ideology that is invested in 1936 and in 1987, would it be 20 years ago, 1987, um, which in, in general in the world. So 1936 it begins, um, and uh, it has a history which uh, is uncertain during the uh, the time of the uh, of the National Socialist period in, in uh In uh, the Netherlands, where there were some actually quite interesting exhibitions occasionally during that period. Um, But then in 1946, um, it really begins its history. Um, And I'm the fifth director since 1946. So you can understand that there have been four previous directors who've been on average about 15 years in, in, in their job. I don't know whether I'll be that there that long, but um, <laughs> it means that there's been quite an extensive investment in each of those individuals. And lastly, those individuals have been responsible for the direction of the collection. So what we have in the Van Aden Museum is a collection which is eclectic, I would say. It's not comprehensive. And the interesting um, aspect of that is that it, it nor, nor, it's, it's not comprehensive and it doesn't attempt to be representative. In other words, it has extremely strong holdings of conceptualism from the 1970s, but it has nothing from Fluxus, because the director at the time wasn't interesting. Um, it has extremely strong collections um, from the 80s or, or late 70s, 80s of German painting, um, but it has um, very little of what we might call relational aesthetic work from the 90s. Um, so actually you see that it has certain strong points and certain weak points uh, what's interesting about that I think is that as a provincial museum it's in Eindhoven um, uh, industrial city, a city which is um, basically Phillips Town. It was established by the Phillips Company, which you might know from consumer electronics and various other things. Um, And uh, would not exist, would be a village, but for Phillips. Um, So in that sense, it didn't have a representative function as a national museum to represent a particular national collection, or a national Um, movement. Uh, It didn't really have a local uh, um, role because there wasn't really a locality because the locality was just workers from the factory who were moving in. It was an early version of globalization in a sense in that the south of the Netherlands was a cheaper labor source than the north of the Netherlands and that's why they moved to Eindhoven because of cheap labor so it's the same kind of movement that that happens now in um, parts of uh, Northeast Asia. Um, So uh, this was the, the, the history of the collection um, and I arrived in 2004 um, with a number of questions, I suppose. My own history is that I hadn't um, run a collection before or been involved in a collection before. So um, it was actually a, a whole new set of challenges which I embraced nervously but also excitedly. And I also felt that, that what was interesting about museums is that, is that they had over the previous um, 10, 15 years, maybe a bit longer, become increasingly like Kunsthalle actually, in the sense that museums increasingly emphasize the idea of the exhibition the temporary exhibition, over the presentation of the collection. Now this is something that is actually relatively new because previously museums were those kind of static places where things had a place and the place, and they always hung in the place, if you remember certain museums would almost have the label if they would, le- if they would lend something out, which would be, say this work is on loan, um, and there would be a gap in the wall where that w- waiting for it to come back. So there was this notion in the museums themselves of a a kind of static presentation of the collection and that was basically what the museum did and temporary exhibitions were something that were done at the side, was something occasional, was something that developed um, uh, within the terms of the collection a a sort of fairly irregular pattern over the last, we could say, 50 years and increasingly over the last 15 years, um, that has shifted in museums and the collection itself has become, um, in terms of public relations, less and less significant Um, So it seemed to me interesting to think about the collection as the core of the museum again, to adopt some of those ideas from the past. Maybe not to leave the gap on the wall when we loan something out, but nevertheless to at least readdress the idea of the museum in that old-fashioned way. Um, I was also very um, uh, concerned as a... um, as somebody who's interested in the survival of democracy, I suppose, and feeling that culture has a relationship to democracy, and feeling that democracy is not something which we can take for granted anymore in the 21st century. Um, uh, and, and I suppose not being satisfied with the forms of democracy which we currently have, which are notions of representative democracy, which I don't think function very well anymore. Um, and, um, but, but understanding that this museum was located within the public sphere, that old public sphere, that public sphere that, that, um, that was generated through the the, the French Revolution, um, and um, museums were institutions within that public sphere related to the development of the bourgeoisie and um, and also related to developments of democracy. now the museum that uh, that, um, that I now run, the Van A Museum, is therefore a public museum and it 's run for the public interest now this is of course a very vague terms. They may be a little bit less vague in Sweden sometimes, although I think the social democratic history of this country is in pretty much terminal decline. But nevertheless, um, the idea of the public interest is something which, which still drifts around a museum like the Van Aver Museum, and it receives taxpayers' money. 80, 85% of our money is through the public purse, not through private um, support. Um, So, clearly, the question of the public is something that that exists. So, what does it mean to be public, and what does it mean to have this public collection, which is owned by the city, but you could say also the citizens of Eindhoven, the people who live there? What does that relationship mean, or what could it mean? The other two questions that relate to that, but also relate generally to the problems that also David was outlining, are, given that we have a purchasing budget which is smaller than yours, but around around about half a million euro a year, what kind of things should we collect? Should we continue in this eclectic tradition? Should we think about filling gaps in a, in a collection which begins with Picasso, essentially? Um, should we think about the future? And if we think about contemporary art, what kind of contemporary art do we want to collect? What kind of uh, legacy... Do I want to leave as the fifth director after these four? Those questions were important to consider. And the other one was how to show the existing collection, that question that I had at the beginning about the museum maybe re-emphasizing its collection. I'd hope to show you some images of how we're doing that, but I think that's going to be rather difficult now. But nevertheless, it was those three questions, questions of publicness, questions of what do we buy, and questions of what do we show that um, I'd like briefly to consider here. So the first question is publicness and the museum as an institution in the public sphere. Um, It's important to understand, I think, that we are mandated by politicians to be a service to and for the city of Eindhoven. Um, My boss is a directly elected politician, is represented on the city council, and the board that we have is, um, in some ways similar to yours, it's actually the city council. I mean, the, 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 there is no, nothing between me and the representatives who are directly elected. Um, so therefore, there's a very, very close relationship to that essentially 19th century notion of representative democracy, um, which I find extremely challenging but also extremely important because it means that we have a, different, a certain kind of accountability, and it's accountability to a place and to a people, um, to a people that vote for these, these individuals. Um, So, we're therefore talking about an institution which is, that works in the notion of the public interest. Um, Now, as I've said, I don't think that the the idea of the public interest is particularly clearly defined, but I think it does at least represent a difference from the private interests of individuals or corporations. Um, The public interest is not served by the free market. Um, except if you're a radical, well not even a radical if you're a neoliberal I suppose you might say it is but um, the public interest is not served by the free market I would suggest because it's not related to democracy Um, but it is or it requires an assessment of what would be an ethically good thing to do ethics are involved with the public interest Um, that assessment is made by certain qualified people in this case me, acting in the name of the public so I'm acting through the city council in terms of representative democracy, but I'm also acting in terms of the public interest in trying to do something which is ethically good. Um, at least that's what I feel that, my, uh, that my, my brief is, that's what I feel that my responsibility is, which provides certain limitations or certain ways of thinking about the collection, ways of thinking about the institution, which are different from those that you would have if you were um, accountable to private individuals, accountable to corporations, accountable to a king, accountable to other other forms of power structure. Um, And how do we then articulate those? Um, The the fact of acting in the name of the public I think is quite interesting because it can also be extremely dangerous to act in the public interest. Um, Clearly it can be about assuming that you know the needs um, of others and that you act according to those needs. You need to read people's needs. You need to say, Eindhoven needs this work in its collection. And that's an incredibly arrogant thing to say. no? But, but that arrogance is implied not through my own arrogance, though I'm sure I have it, but actually through the structures that I represent. I have to say that this is a good thing for Eindhoven. Something I find quite troubling. Um, I think that it gives power to an institution like the museum to be able to say that, that we act in the interests of the public. Um, But at the same time, it has to be dealt with carefully and with self-consciousness. I think you can sometimes see in public museums that the self-consciousness of that public role is less than it should be. But it seems to me the dangers are just as great if we abandon the public interest entirely in in favor of private concerns, or simply satisfying the mass market, relying on income through the door, and satisfying the mass market by providing the public with what they want. It's very interesting that when we talk about the public interest, it's not about providing people with what they want. At least I don't see that. I see that as terms of the free market. And I think there is this conflict. There's providing people with what they should have, with all the dangers that that has, uh, as opposed to providing with people with what they want, um, which is judged simply through, through um, income generation. What I think is interesting at current issue with the, with the museum is that much of the art world um, and the world in general, we could say is in the hands of private interests. Um, if we look and concentrate on the art world, we won 't talk about the wider economy, but at the art world, we have a growing number of p- private or corporate collections that are open to the public, institutions that are set up by rich may say mass collectors. Uh, who open the doors of their institutions for the public um, we have um, commercial galleries that take care of the whole estates of artists that cons- cons- are concerned with their publications and, the art and, their, and that artist's art historical position in other words they're much more than the shops which fundamentally is their, is their genesis you know, galleries are essentially shops but they've come to take on much more of the old public roles that the museum occupy. At um, the same way that private and, and corporate collections, particularly private collections, have come to take on much of the role that was previously occupied by the public museum.
0: Can you just give a couple of examples there?
2: Well, I think, I mean, De La Cruz might be an example in, uh, in Miami, Miami mm-hmm. um, which is a private collection which is mm-hmm. now open to the public. Um, Francois Pino might be another example who set up this uh, corporation in Venice. So there are, there are two, but I think there are many, many Times. that are around uh, the world. And there are also... Um, you know, strange hybrids sort of hybrids like the Flick collection in, in Berlin um, you know, which is extremely interesting because he, he's using the public field the public institution and, and public money as well to support that presentation but he hasn't donated a single thing he's put it on loan for seven years and then having accrued all the, all the value that it will have had by being shown in the public he can then sell it again And I think the ethics of that are questionable. i tried to talk about ethics of of my own situation, but I think there are also certain ethics that belong to a collector. um, Certain collectors deal with that in in very sensitive ways, and certain other collectors, we could say, deal with it in relatively insensitive ways. Um, So those are a few of the examples, maybe. Um, So what I'm saying is that that also we have art fairs, and again, kind of responsible galleries, um, who... um, will actually, I mean, as we all know, will, not, will only sell to certain collectors if they're serious enough, if they have enough weight. In other words, that they are choosing the purchasers rather than the other way around. It's, it's, a, it's very much a seller's market in that sense. Art um, and, and collectors have to prove that they will care for the work, that they won't simply speculate on it, that they won't sell it on it in general. Um, so, so actually the galleries themselves have taken an incredibly responsible view of the, 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 the works of art that are in their hands. They have, they have a great sense of responsibility. So it is apparent, um, I think, in that argument, that many of the aspects that were traditionally done by public art museums, those responsible that, that question of responsibility, are now taken care of by private individuals, by galleries, or by corporations. And I don't think this is a bad thing at all, but it does leave a question of what could the public interest be today and and how it was previously understood needs to be re-examined because if the territory of the museum is being occupied, is being privatized and the activities of the museum are increasingly being privatized then our public money should start to allow us to do something else it should start to open up new, new territory which isn't necessarily covered by the private sphere it would be tragic if we simply in the kind of classic socialist um, response to, to, to privatization sort of went into a corner and started crying and said, you know, but all our, all our games have been taken away from us. Yeah? And also said, no, 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 we don't want this privatization. Let's fight it. You know, Neither of those have had any success whatsoever as reactions. But it seems to me that if we can think about the public interest in a different way, we might start to open up new territory, new territory for ourselves, new territory for the institutions which we're working in. Um, can I just give a few examples? It's a bit difficult because now I was going to show you some images of what we were doing. And as I can't do that, I'm kind of a little bit handicapped, I have to say, um, because I don't have this wonderful building that you have to demonstrate your <laughs> activities in. Um, there were two more questions that I had that was my story about the public question of publicness and the public interest there are two more stories that I had one is um, to think about the kinds of things that might be collected and I think if, if we think that this territory of uh, the, the, the privatization process which is going on generally and also in museums uh, allows us to start doing other things what kind of other things might we want to do well I, one of the things I find interesting is that um, traditionally the museum collection has been about objects it's been about things it's been about buying paintings or sculptures or video installations and DVDs um, I wonder whether that can start to change towards something which is more about collecting intellectual property this is obviously in, in terms of the capitalist uh, market It of course makes absolute sense but it's also conceptual art is essentially intellectual property avant la lettre It's about an idea which is manifested in the imagination or in the concept of the artists themselves and then communicated directly to our imagination without the intervention of the object itself. Um, Now, of course, the, 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 the idea has become collectible for a long time, but generally it's been turned into things like certificates or instructions or various things which come in the museum collection to represent objects. They come to have the same aura of originality around them as, as, as objects traditionally did. So it's odd, it, in some ways it's odd that the museum has not adjusted itself to the activities of artists since the 1970s in terms of their conceptual practice. Um, what would it mean if we were to adjust it? I think one of the challenges that we need to look at is um, how we might move to um, a notion of an open source collection or at least a Creative Commons collection. A collection which is which is shared and could even be in the tradition of open source altered by people. In other words, that a conceptual artwork would no longer be the property of an artist, it would begin as the property of an artist. Then coming into the public sphere, which would be the museum, it could start to be transformed. Transformed maybe physically, but if it's not an object, it just it's transformed constantly in terms of ideas. And a collection might be to collect the responses to a conceptual piece of work. In in the broadest terms of concept, I don't mind if it's an object or not. That doesn't bother me. But essentially, the intellectual property of that object could then be shared with the public. And the public could start to respond to it. And the museum might start to collect the responses. So start to have a tail, if you like, or a head or something. but, but, But begin at a certain point with the object and not freeze it there. Not preserve the memory of it alone, which is the traditional role of the museum. That's being done by the private people. But why don't we think in our public interest in starting with the object and then seeing where it goes? And I think that seeing where it goes could be, it could be interpreted in all sorts of different ways. Certainly seeing where it goes would mean that the kind of documentation you would take at the moment when you purchase it would be quite different. Traditionally it's been about photographing the object and trying not to, not to allow it to change. Conservation, which costs huge amounts of money, is, is a huge investment for museums. But actually, rather than doing that, think about um, precisely interviewing the artist, recording the artist's intentions, and then allowing those intentions to be interpreted by the curators or by the various people you might invite to intervene or to develop that work. So therefore, the documentation of the idea, which would, of course, originate in an individual, would be the kind of recording of the intention and the parameters which that artist would want to set for a work then I think there would be a question of, are those parameters of the artist legitimate parameters? In other words, not to privilege only the artist's intentions, but to say these are the artist's intentions, but the work can be dealt with in different ways by different kinds of publics. So the work itself starts to change. It starts to get out of control. It starts to get loose. And I think all these things are, are, are not investing in the object, but investing in the potential imaginative possibility of the idea. There are certain works of course that are open to this more than others, but I think once we start thinking in this way, we might start thinking of ways in which even paintings could be dealt with in this way. Certainly in terms of digital representation, but that's the kind of really the beginning of it, yeah. I mean I think there is so many so many ways in which we could go with this. And I, I think the point is of cutting loose is that you don't know where the end might be but it starts to be a, a form of shared communication and I think the open source community and open source software is an extremely interesting model an extremely interesting um, uh, way of thinking about the collection today I think it also means um, in terms of this, this possibility of, of sharing the public space it means um, uh, which I think you do as well but I think again there's a lot more potential in this the idea of commissioning for purchase in other words not thinking about the collection as being um, you know, in the traditional terms of visit, to a studio, in the, the very traditional terms, or to, a, to an artist, and the identification of a particular object, and that object or that concept even coming into the museum. But actually the invitation to produce a work in some way, but that work being intended not to subsequently be collected, but that work being part of the collection from the moment that it's commissioned. So again, you would kind of go backwards from the object. If, if before what I've talked is going forwards from the object, this would be going backwards in time, or indeed in space, from the object, and starting to see what happens if you, if you, in a strange way, start to start to collect before the idea has even come into the head of the artist in the first place. I think but you start to see how that might happen. And I just just want to say one thing. I think it it it, it it's very when we think about the, the, the world of, of the, of the web 2.0 and we think about the idea of relation and, and, and the way that that's mediated through digital images it seems to me that the, the, the youngest generation the people are about 18 to, to 30 or something like that now um, it seems to me that, that, that increasingly the idea of the image itself is a very, very thin thing it's a very thin thing which can be replaced by many, many images and the museum is still trying to hang on to the idea of the iconic image, it seems to me that actually what's, what's thick now in society is not the old images with which, which we invested so much thickness in the past, religious images, icons, etc. But it's actually relationships. It's actually the real human, the human flesh is the thing that we don't have very much of. And, and human touch is the thing that we really invest reality in. Because images can be simply replaced by another image, by another image, by another image. And then the question would be, how could you collect relationships? And I'm not talking about relational aesthetics. I'm talking about how could you collect relationships. And it seems to me that in mapping out a couple of the ideas of going forwards and backwards from the object, it might start to be that relationships become the question of what the public interest would represent as a collection. Now I'll shut up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's all very interesting, and we will... um have a reason to return to many of the questions. On the technical side, again, um, you were talking about different philosophies. Uh, are you going to fill in gaps in the historical collection? Mm-hmm. Are you going to focus more on what is being made uh, right here and now? Just a few sentences about the direction of collecting at Van Auber since you came.
2: Um, I, it, not to fill in gaps. It's a very specific project. That doesn't mean that we won't collect historical work. I have some slides of some historical work that we have collected, um, but it will be work that strengthens what currently are the strengths of the of the of the collection. For instance, we have an extremely strong collection of Lizitsky, and constructivism, Soviet constructivism in, in general, um, uh, but Lizitsky as the as the forefront. And um, I did buy a work which is possibly lysitsky malevich collaboration, luckily, if if it works out, and might not be by Lysitsky at all, (laughs) that's also possible. But it's a very interesting proposal for a public artwork in Vitebsk during the Unobis period. So it has a very interesting dialogue behind it. Um, And we purchased that work, and then we gave it over to a group of people um, who made a project related to it, because what does it mean to own an image? which recorded the whole penumbra, if you like, of associations which are related to that image. So not filling gaps, but collecting historically where it makes sense in relation to the existing collection and collecting the now.
0: I will ask you later, what what is now to you? But before that, I would like to ask you, David, to um, think about... Public interest in relation to your uh, work here—does it have any um, resonance at all, or is it just an alien concept?
1: No, not at all. I mean, if if we were uh, only uh, creating these exhibitions for for. Uh, internal consumption with people working here or, or, or an extended family, it will be disastrous. I just wanted to, to say to Charles, of course, that, that I have been in an extremely lucky situation uh, because when we started uh, differently from Mr. Van Abbe, um, we started with absolutely nothing. I mean, the, the, the collection of Magazine 3 is subsequently something that has been uh, added as I said before, as a memory. But in 1987, Magazine Three owned nothing. We were totally uninterested in opening doors to show how clever or how stupid we had been by being collecting for many years. We were only interested in the process, the dialogue with the artists, trying to record and 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 remember what you were talking about. Uh, the 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 ideas, we have never ever commissioned the work, and we have been very clear when we have worked with the artists that the works that are being specifically produced for magazine, whether it is Magazine 3, whether it is by, by Pippi Lottini, or Mona Hatoum, or Janine Antoni, and all of these artists have never been part of any idea of being specifically collected to Magazine 3. I think that's very important because it means also that the collection has a very unique profile. Um, I will not uh, uh, deny the fact that we have parallel to this once in a while acquired works, which we, which we think makes sense when you look at the totality of the collection, what you refer to as filling gaps. Um, and once in a while you fill a gap and you have a dream or a vision of, of being able to work with artists, and once in a while it doesn't work. Uh, then I wanted to address the fact of, of private individual in, 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 in comparison to, to uh, the, the governmental or the national uh, institution. Not that many years ago, we created a new a museum here in Gothenburg, Världskulturer uh, Museet, which was a, a, a political decision to create something and kind of rein, reinforce or, or, or uh, um, how I say, influence a, a museum world by creating a new institution.
0: The Museum of World Cultures.
1: Right. But otherwise, I have to say that most of the institutions in Sweden, absolutely most of them, have been created with uh, madness or passion, but by individuals, like the Van Abbe Museum. In Stockholm, we have Miles Gordon. It was a, an artist. We have a prince that created something. We have a banker that went belly up, and, and the state was... Uh, smart enough or clever enough to see that it wouldn't be, be, be lost uh, there is hardly any institution in in Sweden that hasn't originally been formed by the passion and the madness of, of an individual. I think that is very very important I also think that that uh, as Rob Storr said and he is the, the the uh, chief curator for the upcoming Venice Biennale, there is not one single institution that has been able to survive without having a dialogue or relationship with federal or state money. And he added, not even the Rockefellers, and then was referring to the museum or not. So by, by creating a new institution like Magazine 3. And we have another institution in in uh, in uh, that opened uh, about six months ago which was called uh, which is named Bonius Um we are we are continuing kind of a tradition that has existed in Scandinavia even though we have had uh, eighty or eighty years of, of social democratic uh, uh, government and the bourgeoisie has slightly changed, and, and I think that is an interesting thing. That Mr. Van Abe, uh, of course, both the Lescitzkis and the Picassos, having once in a while certain relationships yeah, he with them.
2: I have to say, we only have six paintings, by, which are all very, very modest. And uh, I see. Okay, average. so he but wasn't. But, but not, you he was know, the directors afterwards, but the madness was certainly there for sure. Exactly. <laughs>